Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So I'm on remote. I'm in a hotel room. And we have this new cool thing. Richard always, producer Richard always knows how to make our remote um, recordings sound so much better. Gosh, they were so so painful before. Like every time I think about it, it's like there were some makes, dark days. There were some dark days. Crawl, like the editing in hotel in Vegas after I'd already been in Vegas like one a week earlier, and then I was back, but just like spending the whole time editing the show, and it was just the whole thing was horrible. Anyway, um, but it's called Squadcast, which feels relevant today because like squads, squads are on people's minds. <laughs> uh, I, I think my favorite of our bad audio situations was when you and I were in Chicago in like the ballroom level of some <laughs> Sheraton downtown trying to like huddle in a corner with a just recorder set up on a little shaky table. And I mean, we've had some some rough instances. So, yeah, we heard you. You didn't hear us, but we heard you. Anyway, <laughs> it's better now. But Squadcast is how we've made this happen, which is just I was look. I was like, what am I looking? What email link? I'm like, uh, Squad. And so I typed in Squad, and like a thousand things in my email, my inbox came up. I'm like, oh, I need Squadcast, not like every every outlet's you know alert <laughs> about the Squad. So that was what made me think. You gotta you gotta get better about conmarring your inbox. I have <sighs> become in the last six months obsessive if something shows up and i did not specifically ask for it i unsubscribe i would say every day i unsubscribe from 15 to 20 different like pr lists marketing things and it does feel like whack-a-mole like i'm never actually going to win the fight but it feels so satisfying to know that like with every day with every passing day i'm removing from my life emails that do not bring me joy yeah i mean it was kind of nice when i started what was then gba now gbao and like the first couple months i'm like i have no spam like i have no nothing that i'm not supposed to be getting and then all of a sudden i was like okay here they all are but um but yeah i don't obsess about inbox zero there's just you know it's it's always there. It's ne- th- that's just a hill that's I'm never going to be able to conquer. It just doesn't even seem worth aspiring to it. That's my just go nuclear. Yeah, <laughs> archive it all. I mean, th- uh, seriously, I-, I live at Inbox Zero, and it is so fabulous. Really? If something is in my inbox, it means that it still requires some action from me. If it does not require any action from me, some little folder. it goes away. It goes into the archive folder. So it still exists. It still lives there. It's just not in my face. So I know what I still need to do, and I know what I don't need to worry about anymore, and it's delightful. Hmm. Well, speaking of things in our faces that we may or may not have asked for, <laughs> what is happening? What are the top lines this week? Uh, we have anonymous polls, polls that are missing candidates, candidates that are missing polls. Total mayhem we will discuss, as well as taking a look at how 2020 is doing. Voters versus non-voters. If you boosted voter turnout, who would benefit? You might be surprised by the answer. We'll take a look at the latest polling on immigration, as well as the president's tweets about the squad. And we'll wrap up with a little discussion of some more polling on lady sports. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, But first, we're talking about Trump's approval. It's a way to... Start the day, I guess. Um, you know, he has had a wild few weeks, I suppose, where, um, you know, he 
I mean, I'm not going to call them racially tinged or somebody said racially, I think the New York Times said racially infused, which, you know, got people, you know, upset. Uh, it's like vodka, like it's infused right. with pineapple. Or tea, exactly. Um, but his job approval ratings are not really any different than they've been. It's a 44% approve, 52% disapprove. That's, you know, the same place he's been. Reuters Said. However, there have not been new polls done besides Rasmussen since those tweets. So while 99 times out of 100 when he tweets something like this, it does not actually move his numbers. We don't we still don't yet know for certain that this is another one of those 99 times out of 100 because right now the only poll that's been taken that includes interviews post those tweets no, in the Reuters. national average. Reuters. Reuters has something. I don't know if it's integrated into this new... Oh, I, I'm not, it might not be in the average. Okay. It might not be in the average. But RC, uh, but Reuters has something out, and they show that Republicans, his net approval among Republicans rose by five points to 72% compared to their poll from the previous week. Um, a lot of people are going bananas over that online, you know, that this is a sign of where the Republican Party is going or has always been and what they like. And I'm not disputing that. I'm not saying that that's not true. I just want to wait before I draw that conclusion from this one subgroup. So responsible. We're always responsible analysts <laughs> here on The Pollsters. <laughs> right. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying I don't know if we have enough points yet. You know, two points we make a line, but I'd like to have a couple more to make a full trend. Um, Speaking of trends... Can yes. we wildly and irresponsibly uh, extrapolate what the state of the 2020 <laughs> primary is from these <laughs> I know. This looks like something like these lines. There are so many. And this is RCP. And, you know, they have it all color coded. And, you know, they have several different colors of green, several different like purples. I think it's just it's complicated. It's complicated to look at. There's obviously, you know. Lots of different groups that kind of bunch together. And I think, you know, I, I don't think it's really any different ultimately than what we saw about a week or so ago or after even after the first debate with Harris, you know, it, getting a boost after the debate um, and Biden, you know, I don't want to say the expense of Biden and Sanders, but Biden and Sanders dropping a bit from where they were at earlier points in the cycle. Now, and, you know, Warren also surging and, you know, but obviously these are small differences that can change very quickly in the next debate or with other campaign events. And, you know, all these candidates are these candidates at the top are all well funded. So they'll have the ability to, you know, continue the conversation in a variety of other ways and other platforms. Obviously, they're driving coverage, too. Um, So, you know, so I, I don't see anything here, even though it looks like a kind of a chaotic bunch of lines. It's not volatile in the last week or so. Yeah, you've still got that kind of Biden out in front as a front runner, but weak, weak-ish front runner, uh, vulnerable front runner, maybe. I, I don't know how you'd classify it. But then there's that next pack where both Warren, uh, Harris and Sanders have all come together. I mean, really, if you're looking at the trend line over a long enough period of time, the biggest loser is the subject of my column from this week, Beto O'Rourke of the great state of Texas, um, that at one point in time, he was in third place in the race. When you look back at April, uh, as well as back in January, he was in formidable position. And now he sort of 
lurks down there at the top of the third tier, which, uh, and in the St. Anselm poll, I believe, which came out earlier this week, which we'll discuss in a moment as a flawed poll in many ways, I believe it found him at 0.0%, which is not where you want to be if you would like to be president of the United Room States. Room to grow. Room, Room to grow. grow. Only only up to go there. There was So my column this week for The Examiner was sort of me venting about this trend of folks like Beto O'Rourke and Elizabeth Warren. I mean, this was a big story when all of the fundraising stuff came out from last quarter because Elizabeth Warren had raised a bunch of money, but is spending it in unconventional ways. Instead of having outside consultants do a lot of things that campaigns have outside consultants do, they're doing much of it in-house, which can be expensive to spin up, but then can save you money down the road when you're not paying, say, commissions to a media buyer in the same way. Or I, I, I don't know exactly which pieces of the campaign puzzle they are doing in-house versus outside. But one of the things they are very proud of is we are not using a pollster. Um, And the implication, whether it's Beto or Elizabeth Warren, or I I noted Chris Christie used to talk about this all the time, even though he did have pollsters working for him, um, was that uh, is, is it kind of is this demonstration of authenticity, right? I don't need a pollster because I know what I believe and I get my voters and I listen to them myself and I don't need some data nerd telling me what I'm supposed to say because I am me and I am myself and I am authentic. And my column is like, this is a bunch of nonsense. (laughs) That this fundamentally misunderstands what a pollster does. This idea that you hire a pollster only if you aren't sure of yourself, or you hire a pollster only if you don't know what to say. But if you have true beliefs, then you don't need a pollster. It's silly that the reason why you hire a pollster is to make sure that what you're saying is what people are actually hearing. Because, you know, being a wealthy white man going on the cover of Vanity Fair saying, I'm just born to be in it, may be your authentic view. But wouldn't it be nice to know that that's not what voters are hearing? Uh Captain Zero Percent in New Hampshire. I mean, like, not not to like th- this is my ex- my extended rant in this column was I get this whole performance of authenticity thing, but that is not what pollsters do. And I wonder if at this point in time, being now having slid into the third tier, that Beto O'Rourke is wishing he had some steady hands guiding him that have some sense of data. So I'm not going to comment on the consultants of the various <laughs> Dem candidates, but I will just broadly speaking. You know, when I first started my own business, right? So this was, you know, this was not recently, but it wasn't a billion years ago, but it was, you know, so this was 2001. And I still had to, at that time, you had to really talk to candidates and say why you, why they needed a pollster, why it was time to modernize the operation was how people phrased it. And this was particularly true for down ballot legislative programs, you know, smaller races, which were the kinds of races that I, I worked on almost exclusively when I first started my business. And these were folks who had never done polling before. They weren't sure why they needed a pollster. And a lot of conversations were about like, this is not about just you know, here is this thing that I've I've pulled out of my pollster box and you need to say it. And this is like the magic phrase that everybody's saying and you're going to say it too. And I don't care what else you think. This is the thing you were going to say. And everybody's going to like sort of sound the same across the land. And it, it, it took a while, I think, for people to kind of realize that polling had a lot of different tools to figure out, you know, are there specific phrases that sound like one thing? You mean to say one thing in particular, but people are hearing something else, as you mentioned, or 
Are they responding to you visually or in your, you know, the way you talk or any kind of nonverbal cues that we need to be aware of if you're going to be on television? It's not about like you are, must now go do a makeover, but like, should you, you know, are people hearing you in one way that it's just good to see to do a check? Sometimes people say, you know, that person, you know, people are worried about how they come across and then they come across great. So it's just a way of kind of doing a, just a double check to see how people respond to you, whether that's visually or whether that's your message or whether that's just how you prioritize the 20 or 30 things you want to talk about. People only have time for a couple. Um, then how do you prioritize all the various things you want to talk about? So yeah, I, I think that priorities point is so important, too, that if the idea is like, well, here are the issues that I care about and I as a candidate, I'm going to go out in the stump and only talk about things things that I care about. That might not be what people care about. And there is nothing wrong or inauthentic or nefarious about figuring out what people care about to make sure that you, as someone running for office and asking them to vote for you to be an elected official, have something to say about the issues they care about. It is not all about you as a candidate. So... Uh, yeah. Anyhow, I'm, it's it's it's, a, it's working it, out okay for Elizabeth Warren, less so for Beto. Um, but uh, yeah, I just felt like I needed to defend the polling world against. Yeah. No, it's. I mean, there were definitely a lot of times, you know, back in the olden days, where people would say, "Well, I, you know, the locker room is my focus group," which I'm like, okay, <laughs> it should not be your focus group. Do not, um, do, not do not do oh, that. So many thoughts. <laughs> And, um, think about that. Right. Or like the grocery store is my locker, you know, my focus group, sorry, not my locker room, but like my focus group where people come up to me at the grocery store and whatever it is they want to tell me, like, that's how I know what people care about, which is not really representative, obviously, because the people who are bold enough to approach an elected official at the grocery store, um, one, live near that person when they don't live in the rest of the district and two, you know, are really amped up about that topic, right? They're different in some way. So anyway, that those kinds of questions are not, I think, uh, the norm as much now, but it is interesting that we're continuing to have, you know, that it's, it's still coming up again as a, as a conversation. And I think, you know, the, there is, um, there's still questions that pollsters can help answer that really aren't about authenticity at all, but about like resource allocation, like, you know, which media market or which state or which, you know, audience that is watching cable at what particular time is going to be the most receptive to one's message. That's not about changing what a candidate thinks or believes or how they talk or how they look. So um, so I, I think these are all interesting questions that come up from time to time. We also had two other polling faux pas this week, uh, things that, you know, sort of caused us to raise our eyebrows. Um, So I mentioned the St. Anselm poll that had Beto O'Rourke at 0.0% in New Hampshire. Um, But at least he was named. Um, This poll, Margie, do we know why they did not actually ask all of the names? And it wasn't as though they, they left... You know, just all the people who typically poll below one percent out, which which would not be methodologically good, but would make some kind of. I mean, it struck me that I the names that they left out. It was not like it did not uniformly make sense to me. I mean, I guess they were, but it's not even like oh, we're just doing tracking because they added Williamson and Yang who weren't in the Jan- in the April poll. But you know, they're missing. I mean, they're missing Bullock. They're missing De Blasio. They're missing Ryan. Moulton, Delaney, Delaney. Yeah, it's quite a few. 
So that just strikes me as a very bizarre way to conduct. Hickenlooper, right? Hickenlooper? Hickenlooper. I mean, like, again, these are not, like, if your poll doesn't include Tom Steyer, okay, he just got in the race five seconds ago. You can be forgiven for that. But Hickenlooper's been in the race for a while, was a former governor of a state, you know? Bullock has been in the race for a while, is a governor of a state. I mean, like, this is, this seems strange to me. And so to the extent that there are college kids who wrote this questionnaire, our advice would be to rethink how you decide to do your ballot test. Either include the names or leave it open-ended. But don't include just some of the names. Yes, so, but St. Anselm, I, I don't, I didn't see a lot of people like arguing about that one online, but I did see a lot of people arguing about this Axios release online. Like people got really, really heated about this. They released, uh, or they didn't release, they wrote up, including results of a poll, which they called, you know, exclusive without disclosing Never mind the survey questions or instrument, which is standard, but, you know, not everybody does that exactly the same way every time, which we talked about last week in the CNN standards. Um, But they didn't even disclose the sponsor. It was basically like a secret poll. This is how not to do things. Um, I mean, one, this was already going to be an inflammatory, controversial uh, internet firestorm because it was it, the results are alleging that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and other members of the squad and, and this was all happening before Trump's tweets but was sort of alleging that like they are potentially problematic for the Democratic Party and this was happening in the midst of like what to me as a Republican on the outside was like huh this is interesting uh, and you know online Twitter battle between. AOC's chief of staff and Justice Democrats versus at House Democrats and a variety of Democratic members and like sitting on the outside. You see this war unfolding and then into that you throw this grenade, which is this poll sort of, t- you know, alleging that the squad members are an anchor for Democrats in terms of their ability to gain support with white working class voters, which is a, a you know, that's a big finding if you can back it up. Um, and an anonymous, unsourced poll where you know nothing about the methodology is not the way to go about making that case. So, so there are a couple things. Like, first, it's I, I don't think I've ever seen a poll release that doesn't say who the sponsor was. Like, I, I've seen plenty of poll releases where the top lines were not released. It, you know that we've seen that. Some people can argue that should never be done. Some people, you know, it it varies. But I I don't I can't recall seeing in like such an establishment kind of outlet like this, not even sourcing it. Um, So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, you know, without the top lines and given that there's no, you know, no sourcing, it's it's hard to know how to evaluate the results. And again, I'm not you know, this is like what I was saying before. Like, I don't just, I'm not saying these results are wrong. I'm not saying that they're like made up or arbitrary. I'm just saying I can't tell because there's not enough information given about any of this. Um, so, and I'm even not, I'm not even really faulting the people who tried to get this covered because, you know, people try to get stuff covered all the time. That's what, you know, some people, that's their job, but it's the job of an outlet to say, we can't run, we can't run with this. This is not, 
a poor standards, a poor release to statement. Like this is just not basic standards of how you talk about polling. And so we're just not, we're not going to do that. Um, so it's up to the outlet to make that, you know, to make that call. And they didn't make that call here. Um, so for example, they said, you know, they talk about the various members who were recognized by some percent and the percent that had a favorable view, but they don't say the unfavorable or how the scale was done. So when it says Omar was recognized by 53% of voters and 9% had a favorable view. So does that mean that everybody else was unfavorable? You know, probably not since that's not what's in here. Um, it means that they're leaving out an, an answer category um, of people who are neutral, but that was, was shared with Axios or did Axios leave that out? Like, I, you know, we don't know. So there's just, you know, again, it's just, you know, you can't really draw a conclusion from this. And then the other thing is they say these are, you know, these are white non-college voters who embraced Trump in 16, but are needed by Democrats in swing House districts. Okay, but is that like, is that what this audience is? Or it's not really like swing voters. It is white non-college, period. It's, you know, they're making this extra step. They embrace Trump. They're needed by Democrats. And, you know, it, it, maybe that's extrapolating a bit too much about this audience that ultimately leans Republican. So to say, like, they're, you know, this is kind of a very pat, reductive, like, you know, quick statement here about the the importance of this group. Again, not saying it's not important, not disputing, you know, what they found or how the poll was done. We just don't know. And so without any kind of other backup, without a, you know, a top line release, without some information about the methodology, with how the questions are worded, anything, we don't, we don't really know. And the Economist and YouGov poll has actually looked at this exact question among non-college white voters, and they find something that's kind of different. I mean, they do find that AOC is not wildly popular among this group, but they also don't find that she's dramatically more unpopular than just the Democratic Party overall or Democrats in Congress or Nancy Pelosi, that like the gap there is not as wide as what is sort of being implied by this story. So, right. Well, why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Trump's approval by age. We'll talk about um, voters versus non-voters and some more general election stuff. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. Okay, we're back. So something that was not a polling gaffe, but a well-argued article instead was Nate Cohn's piece in Upshot in New York Times. Um, and and so he draws on the upshot polling from 18 that we spent a lot of time talking about last cycle um, to kind of make and explore this hypothesis or this, I mean, I guess it's a hypothesis, but it's really often treated as a truism or conventional wisdom rather than a hypothesis, which is 
uh, you know, high turnout elections always benefit Democrats, basically, because the people who don't vote typically are younger, non-white, um, you know, folks who are more likely to vote, you know, people who are mobile, move from place to place, the kinds of, uh, of communities that are more likely to vote Democratic. And so a high turnout election always benefits Democrats. And that's kind of the that's kind of the end, full stop. And so he challenges that by looking at um, what would happen in a variety of different kinds of areas with higher turnout. If you look at the people who voted in 18, people who did not vote in 18, non-voters in like the northern battleground states and also Sun Belt uh, battleground places. And um, and so he finds a real difference there where it's not as simple as high turnout benefits Democrats, that that may be true in the more diverse Sunbelt areas, but that is not actually true in the whiter northern areas. So what did you think when you looked at this? Yeah, I was fascinated because the the conventional wisdom is that, you know, if you are young and you and you care enough about politics uh, to like have decided that you are Republican, even though it is sort of cutting against the cultural grain and not considered a cool thing to do, that if you are nonetheless a young Republican, you are probably politically engaged enough that you're voting, where lots of young people who may lean more progressive may just feel like, well, but, uh, you know, I don't care. You know, are they are they politically progressive because that's kind of the culture that they're in and just sort of going along. But voting is, is maybe not something they'll do that this data kind of debunks that and suggests that no, actually, like for young people, if you're a young American and you didn't like Trump, you were you were going to turn out. Whereas if you were a young person and you maybe did like Trump or um, at least thought he was OK, that, that that might lead you to just go, I'm just going to sit this out um, or would, would correspond with you not voting. Um, so that to me is fascinating. The idea that maybe there is I mean, I've always advocated for Republicans to sort of go after younger voters, but this is really strong and compelling data that there actually is this pool of untapped, you know, young Republican vote out there that for whatever reason's not turning out to the polls. Um, and it, again, it doesn't the, their their approval percentage of the president is not like sky high among non-voting uh, young people. It's still hovering around, you know. 50 or some percent. But if you're a young person and you did vote, your job approval rating of Trump is like below 30 (laughs) percent. So, uh, you know, there is some there's like could there be interesting little pockets of like, you know, younger people who lean right of center who just feel kind of checked out right now, but could be re-energized and brought back to vote. I just I think that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So folks should take a look at it. I was definitely making the rounds in uh in pollster in pollster world in in uh i think a positive way because it's obviously it's always it's always good to double check these kinds of assumptions and see how they evolve and you know it, it's it's important to not just assume as fact these you know these things that are a part of conventional wisdom that are very fluid and that are not the same wherever you go so i mean for example in northern battleground areas uh, unregistered folks who were unregistered or people who were, you know, registered, but didn't vote in 18, those were, you know, 
more likely to be uh, white without a college degree than those who voted in 18. And, you know, does that mean that a higher turnout in those areas will lead to actually greater support for Trump since those groups lean more Republican, as we just discussed? And that's not true in some belt areas where folks who were registered to vote but didn't vote in 18 or unregistered, um, those folks are disproportionately like to, likely to be non-white compared to those who did vote in 18. So, I mean, I think that's an interesting important distinction that there's not one one size fits all rule about how turnout works. But certainly if you are Democrats, the general election polls continue to look pretty favorable. Uh, Wall Street Journal uh, NBC News poll came out uh, taking a look at matchups between Donald Trump and four Democratic contenders, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris. Uh, The findings show that Biden holds a nine point lead over Trump in a hypothetical matchup. Sanders, a seven point lead, Warren, a five point lead and Kamala Harris, only a one point lead. As with any time we're talking about a general election poll, it is Way, way, way too early for us to read a ton into that. But it is consistent with the polling that has come out from other sources showing um, that the president's reelect numbers tend to be pretty close to his job approval um, and that the movement uh, between different Democratic candidates seems to be in some ways almost more about, you know, people switching between the Democrat and being not sure, uh, still kind of wanting to learn more. Yep. Okay, so we're going to take another break, and then we're going to talk a little bit about immigration. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups it would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Well, the other big issue that has come up in the news that sort of unfolded over the weekend, in addition to the president's tweets, which we've already mentioned, and we'll we'll dive into some polling on that in a second, um, is the issue of immigration and uh, ICE raids to sort of go find folks who have deportation uh, court orders and to begin the process of deporting them. Um, This comes to us a poll from Morning Consult where they asked, as you may know, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement has planned a series of raids to arrest and deport thousands of undocumented immigrants. These immigrants have outstanding court orders to be removed from the United States. Do you support or oppose these raids? The Morning Consult poll finds a majority, 51 percent, support Um, Oppose is only 35 percent, with the remainder saying they don't know or have no opinion. Um, So this is also it was something that the president had tweeted about a few weeks ago, then put on the back burner because he was going to try to work out an immigration deal with Democrats on the Hill. Uh, That obviously did not 
come to fruition. Um, and so the, the sort of discussion was that these raids were going to begin um, over the weekend. Uh, but to, from my read of this poll number, the idea of deporting people who are here illegally, even though we find tons of other polling evidence that shows people want to see a path to citizenship for those who have been here a while and if they pay back taxes and what have you, um, that the way it was presented in this this poll by Morning Consult shows, you know, a majority, but a very slim majority saying that they would support the raids. Yeah, I haven't seen any other questions about this. It feels like it needs another sentence, right? I feel like that immigrant that they, they have outstanding court orders to be removed is doing a lot of work here, you know, is really changing the outcome here. That's obviously, I, I, we'd have to test that, but that's my hypothesis. And so I, I don't know if it needs another sentence or like some people say this and other people say that kind of structure um, or what the difference would be if it didn't have that sentence, if it just said it planned a series of raids and, uh, to, you know, to arrest and deport thousands of undocumented immigrants, what would the results be then? Just, just, and again, it's not that, you know, obviously these would be different ways of capturing the same person's opinion, essentially. Um, and people might have different views depending on how it's presented. And, and so, uh, so it's not like, one is necessarily right or wrong, but it's it's important, I think, to look at the question wording to see, is there something in this question that's changing it before we say, okay, well, everyone supports raids then, I guess. So like, I think there's there's probably a lot of nuance to be explored here. We just have this one question. The other question that the Morning Consult folks dug into was around the citizenship question, which uh, I, it sounds to me like that has, from a census perspective, been resolved with the president saying that he's going to seek information about who is and is not a citizen and what those counts look like from other sources, um, but that there will no longer be a push to get it added to the census itself. But what Morning Consult does in this question about the citizenship item is sort of what you were saying about the the ICE raids, about sort of offering a, a some people say, other people say approach. In this question, they first kind of lay out the case against by saying that government experts say that including a citizenship question may cause immigrants to refuse to take the survey, which would result in fewer resources and less political power going toward regions with high populations of immigrants. But supporters say the citizenship question, it would give states inf- access to information about the number of non-citizens in their state. When you present it that way, 45% say you should add the question, 37% say don't, and 18% say don't know, Um, which doesn't surprise me. I mean, even given an explanation of what the two different sides of this debate think, this is really about, it's kind of, it's a research methodology and what is the appropriate role of the census type question. So it does not actually surprise me that much that like neither side gets to a majority when presented that way. Right, right. I mean, it doesn't, you know, I don't know what would happen if part of this question included all the backstory of like the White House behind the scenes trying to get this question in, you know, does that change this message? But this is like a neutral seeming back and forth about it. So the other big news story where there's a bit of polling comes around Trump's controversial tweets. As we mentioned, there was that Reuters Ipsos poll. We referenced it earlier um, that Republican approval of the president sort of ticked up in the wake of the the polls, but that was only an uptick of five points. That could be statistical noise. It could be movement. We don't totally know. But they do ask people 
Uh, do you find the president's tweets to be offensive? Do you think they're un-American or do you agree with the tweets? Um, 57 percent of Republicans say that they do agree with President Trump's tweets, while 93 percent of Democrats say they find them offensive. 88 percent say un-American. And independents look a bit more, I mean, my just sort of eyeballing of this, they, it, they're more willing to say Trump's tweets are offensive than to say that they are un-American, um, which is similar to Republicans, although independents are like twice as likely to take that position on either of those dimensions than Republicans are. Right. And it's worth noting, it's not totally clear from this, but it is if you look at the full release, you know, the way Ipsos releases their tables, that it looks like there are different answer categories to the same question, but But they are, do you agree or disagree? And it's it's a battery. It's just not, it's not totally clear unless you kind of look at the full thing, just in case people were wondering. Um, but yeah, because you, obviously these are not mutually exclusive categories here. I agree with the president's tweet. I mean, the 57% is high. I mean, people are a right to be alarmed. I mean, I think I think people can kind of be in disbelief about some other things that the president said. If you choose, to, if you, you know, if you're trying to look away, I suppose I could see how you can decide that, you know, that 57% is high. There've been other cases where the president has done something really egregious and that number has been a lot lower. The Charlottesville kinds of things. That number has been lower. The percentage of Republicans who like, were like, yes, this is, you know, go for it. This is great. Um, that This number is pretty high. And well, then I find They do also surprising. ask people somewhat, you, you can respond either strongly or somewhat. And while one third of Republicans say they strongly agree, um, which kind of lines up. I mean, if you think about the percentage that Trump was getting of Republican primary voters kind of through the bulk of the Republican primary, 33% was, a you know, about where he was hanging out until the field had like really, really, really narrowed itself down to like him versus Ted Cruz. So about a third of the party is very much of the like die hard, whatever he says, he's my guy kind of folks. You had another 25% who said somewhat agree. So maybe they feel that these congresswomen are being too critical of the country, but maybe they disagree with the go back home part. Or, you know, we don't know what pieces of it are causing them to not say strongly agree where the hesitations but it is only one third of Republicans who strongly agree. And I consistently find in qualitative research that it is it's the tweets and the demeanor stuff where, yeah, there are some Republicans that they love it. They think it's all great. But this is, you know, when when Republicans have quibbles with Trump, it is far less about sort of policy substance and far more about concerns around his style and a desire for him to be. Uh, be less uh, less out there, less extreme in style, since they don't they view him as not being terribly extreme on policy. Oh, so here's something. So I'm looking at the full release because I wanted to see all the other questions and that like, do you agree with the president's tweets? Are they un-American, et cetera? We're only asked if people who said they had heard or read something about the president's tweets. So that might change. That may have an impact. For sure. For sure. Um, on why that number seems so high. Because look at o- overall among Republicans, they have a question telling minority Americans to go back where they came from is a racist statement. Do you agree or disagree with that? And 45% of Republicans overall agree that that's a racist statement. Now, that's not tied to the president, right? So that would change things. But it's also of a different base than the question of, you know, do you agree with the president's tweets? 
Well, and overall, you know, YouGov asked just broadly of everyone, do you think the way Donald Trump uses Twitter is appropriate or inappropriate for the president of the United States? uh, 56% say inappropriate, only 27% appropriate. Yeah, that's that's still true. That's not that's not going to change. That's continues to be true. They also asked a couple questions about some various theories out there, like the flat earth theory. And was it 90% say that that's either definitely or probably not true that the earth is flat. So that's good. Well, so this is going to be relevant to our next discussion when we cover this goofy poll about one in eight men thinking they can beat Serena Williams and whatever. But here you have 18 percent of people who took this poll are not certain about, no, the earth is not flat. Right. Right. So I would just like that as a sort of appetizer to the discussion that we are about to have about this Serena Williams poll. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, is there a re- is there something about the scales? It's something about asking all of these different theories together. Like twenty percent think vaccines have been shown to cause autism. That that's definitely or probably true. Thirty five percent seem to believe something about PizzaGate is true. That seems kind of high, right? Well, anytime you're offering the probably responses, you can find people who sort of gravitate toward those answers as a way of expressing that they're not really sure or it's not a subject they're terribly familiar with. I mean, it doesn't look to me like unsure is actually offered as an option here. So you can have a lot of people just kind of going, and just picking something. There's no excuse on the earth is flat one. President Obama was born in Kenya. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know... (laughs) None of these things are true, right? But you have like non-zero numbers who think they're probably or definitely true. And you're right. There isn't a not sure. Um, But they could also say probably not true. And yet they could fall into the probably into the true, into the true category. Okay. Well, maybe we should move on to something a little bit more (laughs) heartening. So... Which which of these two lady sports polls do you want to talk about? I have a rant on one of them. You know, it's kind of funny because if, if, uh, okay, I mean, I guess we should talk about the YouGov one. I mean, the YouGov one, what was funny about, so this is about Serena and, you know, sometimes uh, I'll challenge my husband, like, what percent of Americans do you think think X? And so when I said this, what percent of men do you think say they could win a point in a game tennis against Serena Williams. And he's like 25%. So he was pleased to know that it was only 12%. What say you? So, I mean, this is, on the one hand, I I will simply refer to Serena Williams' own comments from 2013 when this had first kind of come up and people started going, oh, if she played Andy Murray, do you think she could beat Andy Murray if she's the best in the world? And her quote was, and I'm just going to read the quote, if I were to play Andy Murray, I would lose 6-0, 6-0 in five to six minutes, maybe 10 minutes. It's a completely different sport. I only want to play girls. That all of these intended like, oh, we're going to show, we're going to show how dumb men are, how great women, I mean, it's it's just different. Is Men's and women's tennis are just different sports lots of sports the men's and women's versions are different or the outcomes are different because 
men and women are different. It's not better or worse. It just is a thing. Um, I, I looked up the in the 2016 Olympics. The gold medalist woman's time was two hours and 24 minutes, which is freaking amazing. It would have meant she would have been 90th if she had been in the guys field. I'm glad that she has a women's field where she can be honored for her ridiculously amazing achievement because in two hour and 24 minutes, I might be able to get myself back to my house like two miles away in the (laughs) District of Columbia, not run 26 miles. And so it is great that we are able to celebrate her amazing achievement and trying to say, oh, but let's compare her to the boys is just like it's sillyhood and it's nonsense. Sure, but that's talking about professional men's players. That's not going to talk about like Joe yes. Blow who took this yes. ball. Who's like, yep, I can. <laughs> I, I am awesome. And, you know, I'm playing my very best tennis, which is what the question asks. <laughs> I could win a point off. And so the other question is like, well, how do you? How are you counting double faults? Which is a fair comment. But the question is, if you were playing your very best tennis, you could win a point off Serena. That's a little bit more like you in your active role, not if you passively sat there, would you accidentally get a point? Well, I don't think it's true that one in eight men could get a point off of Serena, but I just, the the whole point of the question just feels like, oh, this is just trying to like stir up a thing. It's just trying to stir up a thing. I know, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being stirred up. I, (laughs) I, I was ready for this. I was like, this is, this is completely fine. I am here for it. I will allow. (laughs) I don't know who I, I, is this, why does it say gem? Like, Oh, it's, it's, is that from somebody in your office? Yes. <laughs> this happens a lot in the script. <laughs> That's good. It's got 13,000 I can tell when Jan gems. has put things into the, the, into the script. 13,000 gems. Okay. Here's something that we did. This is part of Navigator. And it's embargoed, but, you know, I got special permission. And it's obviously going to be fine when you hear what it is. And that is uh, Rapino, Megan Rapino's Favorables by Party by Fox News viewership. So Fox News Republicans, so Republicans who watch Fox regularly, are most likely to know who she is. She has a 60% favorable, I mean, ID with that group. And they are overwhelmingly unfavorable toward her. So she's 19% fave, 42% unfave with Fox Republicans. Compared to non-Fox Republicans, she's 9-24. So she's 9% favorable, 24% unfavorable. She's about half as well-known. Um, among non-Republicans, she's popular. Better know with non-Fox non-Republicans, but she's popular with both those groups. But she is about a third to a little over four in 10 of non-Republicans are know who she is well enough to give some sort of impression. The folks who really have a strong opinion about her are Fox News Republicans. Does not completely surprise me. Interestingly, I mean, the soccer is covered and carried by Fox, not Fox News, but Fox Sports, which are all still part of the same television empire. So it's very interesting how that kind of, you know, the Fox News viewers walking away with a negative view. But I'm I would assume that the Fox Sports folks would quite like to have a lot of people having a positive view um, of Megan Rapino. uh in part because we want to watch people we like. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was one of those things, like I don't usually 
buy this argument like if you attack me now i'm gonna be you know really defend this per- come rally behind like that you know i think all those things are kind of blips public opinion twitter blips but i did have a moment where i'm like i now really really like megan rapino like maybe now like maybe now i am a lady sports fan you know that's now my thing like because i've seen the polling i guess and i guess she's being you know criticized on fox i don't know but it was kind of a funny it was a funny reaction that I felt myself having. So yeah, if anything could make me become a sports fan, it was the public polling about sports, I guess. We're going to win you over to the sports ball. Yeah, (laughs) It's kind of, it's not really the usual path, but you know, whatever. Um, Okay. So what is on the trend line this week? Uh, So the trend line this week, we did a pre-tape of some interviews. I'm going to be talking to a friend of the show, Ashley Spillane, about the work that she rolled out um, with the Harvard Ash Center about brands and to what extent they they can sort of benefit from engaging in civic participation activities. Um, so that's pretty cool. Dove a little bit into the Pew polling. We talked about it on this show briefly, but really dove deep um, with the folks from Pew about people's frustrations with discourse. So tune in to the Trendline Series XM's POTUS Channel 124, 10 a.m. Eastern on Saturday. All right. Well, that's great. Well, go out and protect your squads and learn to like other people's squads too, everybody. And uh, where can people find us? You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters, individually at, at Bargio Mero and at K Soltis Anderson or on Facebook or www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>